right, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the first uh, Major Mondays webinar of 2021. Uh, we're going to harken back to January 2020 here and take a look at uh, New York loss transfer litigation, uh, but with a little twist on it this time. We're going to talk about ride sharing and transportation network companies. And uh, translation, we're going to talk about whether Lyft or Uber are um, considered livery vehicles for the purposes of insurance law section 5105. Uh, so without further ado, let's dive into the first webinar of the year. So uh, you'll see on your screen there how to ask questions. Uh, at the end of the presentation, uh, I'll go to the question box and uh, respond to anything anyone submits. So feel free to type in your questions as shown on the screen and we'll get to them at the end. So let's just start with a quick review of New York's no-fault law. What is it? Where does it come from? What are we talking about here? Because this is where loss transfer gets its roots from. So this is Article 51 of the insurance law. That's the no-fault law taken together, uh, plus the mandatory policy endorsements in uh, 11 NYCRR Part 65, also known as Regulation Number 68. Um, it applies to accidents arising from the use or operation of a motor vehicle in New York. The use or operation is in quotes for a reason. We're gonna get into that in a moment. Uh, it provides for the coverage of first-party benefits, uh, including what's called basic economic loss. Uh, again, the quotations are significant because every one of these things has a definition uh, under Insurance Law 5102. So what benefits are available after a motor vehicle accident? Well, uh, an eligible recipient recovers basic economic loss regardless of fault. Uh, there's no need to show negligence or a serious injury. Uh, we did do a uh, webinar on the serious injury threshold. Uh, that's for the purposes of civil litigation. Uh, that's to recover non-economic loss, pain and suffering. Uh, it's a burden you got to get through in civil court. Um, you cannot recover basic economic loss from the tortfeasor, uh, meaning that uh, you know, you're going to get your no-fault first-party benefits coverage, but you can't sue for it. Uh, it's combined medical treatment, lost earnings, and other expenses uh, of $50,000 or less. Um, the, the indemnity portion of it is uh, up to $2,000 per month for not more than three years from the date of loss, uh, and the other necessary expenses of $25 per day uh, for less than one year. Uh, as to medical treatment, it needs to be uh, discernible within the first year following the accident um, that it's expected that treatment would continue. Uh, spoiler alert, that's pretty much going to qualify in every single accident. So how does this affect workers' compensation carriers? That's what we're all here for, right? Uh, so we're going to take a peek at Section 291A, Section 292A, and back to Article 51. So workers' compensation is paid in lieu of first-party benefits. Uh, remember, workers' comp covers medical and indemnity, and we just talked about that first 50K and no fault. Uh, it is considered primary to no fault. So workers' comp is going to be the primary payer following a work-related motor vehicle accident. Uh, insurance Law 5104 bars suits between covered persons for basic economic loss. Again, you can't sue for that first 50 uh, or for non-economic loss. And the first 50,000, this is where you get to Section 291A and 2A, uh, the first 50000 paid in lieu of first-party benefits is not subject to a lien or an offset under Section 29 of the Workers' Compensation Law. So what is the practical effect here? Um, you might hear uh, Greg Lois and I referring to something as uh, the quote-unquote carve-out. Uh, that is a $50,000 knockout to our lien uh, that we can, in a motor vehicle accident, we can recover benefits in excess of $50,000 
uh, or there are some exceptions for the first 50,000, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but the practical effect is our Section 29 rights are limited by 50K in motor vehicle accidents. So this, uh, I'll recommend checking out the January 2020 uh, webinar on loss transfer. A reminder that the carve-out is not absolute, and this is not um, this this is an either-or situation. Uh, you cannot have loss transfer and also successfully recover on a Section 29 lien as part of the first 50,000, uh, because only benefits that would not be subject to a lien would be subject to loss transfer and vice versa. So this is where we're going to argue that it's not subject to the 50k carve-out, and hence we're entitled to a lien under Section 29 which means we get back approximately two thirds of these benefits paid. So remember, the carve out is not absolute. It applies to use or operation. Uh, this has been painstakingly defined over the course of many, many litigated cases in the appellate division, the court of appeals, uh, you know, loading and unloading a vehicle. Yes, maybe use or operation. Sleeping in it at a rest stop, probably not. Uh, it all depends on the facts and circumstances, but it actually has to be use or operation of a motor vehicle as a motor vehicle. Um, of a motor vehicle, also defined. For instance, motorcycles do not count. Uh, tractors don't count. Caterpillar or tractor-like equipment do not count. Uh, so you're like average construction vehicles. So it has to actually be a motor vehicle to qualify for no fault. In the state of New York, that is the absolute biggest one. That is the one that I see all the time. You don't have a lien because it's a motor vehicle accident and it's a New York workers' comp case and a New York employer and a New York claimant and a New York tort action. But the accident happened on the other side of uh, the Holland Tunnel and it happened in New Jersey. Well, forget about it. That first 50K is gone. It's, it has to be in the state of New York. We're entitled to a lien from dollar one and between covered persons. Uh, the other person involved in the accident needs to be a needs to be considered a covered person. Uninsured, uh, they, we would have a lien on the first 50K. Um, but note that we do not have a lien on underinsured or uninsured motorist benefits. Uh, it's the first 50,000 from all sources. So uh, why would this matter? Let's say that the private health insurance before anyone knows that it's workers' comp in an ER situation, uh, pays for some emergency cervical fusion surgery that needs to happen right on the spot. Um, that amount gets tacked on to the calculus of the first 50,000 in medical indemnity uh, and necessary expenses. And granted, that health insurer is just gonna turn around and come after you in the health insurance matching program to get reimbursed for that work-related treatment, uh, but, it's part of the 50K calculus. The, the workers' comp carrier does not need to pay all of it. Uh, and finally, my personal favorite, it has to be in lieu of first-party benefits, meaning the workers' comp benefits have to match the 5102 definitions. So where does this pop up? Indemnity is up to 2K per month for not more than three years from the date of loss. So uh, if you have a case that's languishing for a while, claimants getting a ton of surgeries, you don't get to permanency until after three years. Well, even if you haven't paid 50,000, which would be unlikely if the claimant was getting tons of surgeries, admittedly. Um, but if you've not gotten a 50,000, but you're more than three years out from the date of loss, guess what? You're entitled to a lien on indemnity, even in a motor vehicle accident case. Uh, same thing for more than 2K per month. So how would this pay out? Say someone's getting a pretty high temporary total disability of uh, $900 per month, right? It's $1,600 per month. They, they'd be getting $3,600 per month. 
2,000 of that would be subject to the carve-out, 1,600 would not, uh, meaning we'd have Section 29 reimbursement rights on that $1,600, even if we haven't paid out 50K yet. So this is all something to keep in mind. So when can we recover the first $50,000? So Section 29.1a says our sole remedy is the procedures in Section 50.105, and Section 50.105 is why we're here. Uh, this is intercompany loss transfer. An insurer of a covered person can recover amounts paid, in our case, in lieu of first-party benefits from the insurer of another covered person to the extent the other person would have been liable but for Article 51 to pay damages in an action at law. What does that last clause say? Well, remember, we can't sue for basic economic loss. So if Article 51 and no-fault benefits didn't exist, you would have been able to sue the tortfeasor. So that last uh, clause operates to create a sort of liability standard for loss transfer. In other words, you can't just go after them because they were involved in the accident. You have to go after the carrier for the libel tortfeasor, the guy that caused the accident, not just any car involved. Uh, loss transfer, you have to prove your case just like you have to do in civil court. You need a cognizable cause of action, almost always negligence. Uh, and there's two ways to get in, the livery requirement and the weight requirement. Uh, note that unlike with the tortfeasor thing, this can be any vehicle in the accident. Uh, you can just incidentally bump into a bus when it's two private vehicles. And because the bus was involved, uh, you're allowed to go after the vehicle that hit you even if uh, that one does not qualify for loss transfer. So we'll just touch on the two standards briefly. <clears throat> the weight requirement, over 6,500 pounds unloaded. Unloaded means you can't tack on what the truck was hauling in order to, or what the vehicle was hauling in order to get to that 6,500 pound weight requirement. So what are some common examples? Well, of course we have our Mack trucks that are hauling freight. We have our garbage trucks. We have our concrete mixers, and uh, one of my personal favorites, a nice little uh, workers' comp special here, New York City street sweepers, or street sweepers in any other city. Uh, yes, the city of New York can be a respondent to intercompany loss transfer. Yes, these things weigh more than 6,500 pounds, and yes, they're involved in a lot of accidents. Uh, so yes, a city street sweeper would count. Um, just a side note, it doesn't have to be sort of these big industrial vehicles. Uh, there are fully loaded Ford F-350s that crest over 6,500 pounds. Uh, it's got to be investigated from the outset. The police report is a good place to start. Pulling VIN information after that to get the exact make and model. Uh, do, pulling an ISO report maybe if you don't have that information. You can dig into it really from the outset to find out what kind of vehicles you're dealing with. Generally, the employer will have a lot of information too if it's their vehicle involved. The livery requirement, and this is why we're here. Uh, what are the components? A motor vehicle used principally for the transportation of persons or property for hire. What are we talking about here? FedEx, UPS, DHL, that's for hire transportation of property. And the for hire part is really important because a pizza place delivering pizzas in the course of its own business, that vehicle is not for hire for the transportation of property. Um, that is just in the course of its own business. This is hiring another company or another vehicle to transport the property. In other words, they exclusively operate to do so. <clears throat> Freight trucks, again, uh, you're usually gonna get there under the weight requirement. 
But uh, even if you have a smaller truck, uh, it'll probably get there under the livery requirement if it's for hauling freight purposes. Limousines, very, very common uh, candidate for loss transfer. Taxis, another candidate for loss transfer. And finally, yes, ambulettes count too. That is uh, a vehicle for hire for the transportation of people. Those latter three examples on the screen are transportation of people for hire. So what about Uber and Lyft? Well, what is a transportation network company? So uh, this is an Article 44B of the Vehicle and Traffic Law. That's where it's uh, pretty much laid out, all of the legislation with regard to TNCs. That's what we're gonna call them for the rest of the webinar, just to make it easy. Uh, section 1691 says TNC vehicles include a vehicle used by a TNC driver to provide a TNC pre-arranged trip originating within the state of New York. That is important for reasons we'll get into uh, on the very last slide. Uh, it's owned, leased, or otherwise authorized for use by the TNC driver. It does not include, uh, and this is pretty funny that this is included in uh, the actual definition in 44B, you can see the legislature is starting to try and steer us away from loss transfer in the very language of this uh, statute itself. Does not include taxis, livery vehicles, there's the word, limos, buses, vehicles over 6,500 pounds unloaded, uh, literally per se taken from loss transfer from 5105, uh, vehicle with more than seven passenger capacity, uh, or any motor vehicle subject to section 370 of the VTL. Uh, the Department of Financial Services has given us uh, a better example in the, FA, in the FAQs on their website. Uh, a TNC is a person or entity that is licensed pursuant to VTL Article 44B uh, and is operating in New York State exclusively using a digital network, usually a smartphone application, um, to connect passengers to drivers who provide pre-arranged trips. Examples of TNCs include Uber and Lyft. And I just put up the uh, symbols for each uh, business respectively, just to drive the point home. Those are pretty much the two biggest ones we're gonna be talking about here. So a uh, little text heavy here. What are the specifics of Article 44B? Well, uh, the driver is logged onto the TNC's digital network uh, and engaged in a TNC prearranged trip as defined in VTL section 1691. Um, they cannot accept a prearranged trip in New York City uh, pursuant to VTL section 1692.9. Again, VTL is the vehicle and traffic law. Or any county or city that enacts a local law pursuant to general municipal law section 182. Uh, that uh, section actually just prohibits pickup of a person by a TNC within the geographic boundaries of a county or city. Only New York has done that so far. Uh, so TNCs can, New York City rather, so TNCs can pick up passengers anywhere in New York State outside of NYC. Um, this does not apply to trips originating outside of New York State. So ride sharing and TNC coverage, just to talk about the liability aspect of this. So uh, ever since 2018, driver partners are now going to be covered under the TNC group's ride sharing insurance while connected to the digital network. So they're on the app and they're using it. They're going to be under the TNC's ride sharing insurance. Um, the new legislation that came about in 2018 excluded New York City uh, and required uh, TNCs to be authorized, if you're going to work in New York City, by the Taxi and Limousine Commission in order to operate in New York City. 
Um, while they're online via the app waiting for the rideshare request, the driver partners, in other words, the person operating the Uber or the Lyft, is going to be covered by the TNC liability insurance policy, uh, both bodily injury and property damage, and entitled to PIP benefits and uh, UM slash UIM coverage. PIP benefits is the 50K, uh, you know, the first party benefits we were talking about, the basic economic loss, indemnity, and medical. On the way to a pickup through the app, uh, third-party liability coverage kicks in, uh, provided the driver maintains their own auto insurance while not on a trip. Uh, and this third-party liability coverage is going to be—it's going to have greater limits. Um, and riders are covered the same way, uh, as in with that third-party liability insurance uh, after entering the vehicle. So uh, the literal $50,000 question: Are TNC vehicles subject to loss transfer? Well, uh, fortunately, the Department of Financial Services uh, kind of hit this one right on the head for us in an, in a, an insurance circular letter number four in 2019. Uh, the date of it's April 12th, 2019, in case anyone wants to pull it up. Uh, the department believes that the legislature intended to exempt TNC vehicles from the intercompany loss transfer provisions under insurance law section 5105. Why? Uh, what is their rationale for this? Well, the definition of a TNC vehicle uh, in VTL section 1691 specifically excludes taxis, livery vehicles, black cars, limos, et cetera. If you remember, uh, we pointed out when we went over uh, article 44B a few slides ago, isn't it funny how six, section 1691 was worded pretty much exactly to exclude the things that are mentioned under uh, insurance law 5105. So uh, the Department of Financial Services first hangs its hat on that. Um, second rationale, VTL section 692.1, uh, neither the TNC nor TNC driver are uh, deemed to provide taxi cab or for hire service while operating as a TNC or TNC driver under article 44B. And finally, uh, part AAA of chapter 59 exempted TNC vehicles from many laws that apply to for hire vehicles and instead subjected them to article 44B. In other words, TNCs are covered by their own little section of uh, the insurance law, or I'm sorry, the vehicle and traffic law, whereas everyone else is covered generally under VTL and the insurance law. So uh, it concludes really with um, a statement that hits, uh, hits the nail right on the head here. Therefore, a compensation carrier should not invoke intercompany loss transfer provisions under 5105 solely, uh, that's, that's pretty big, based on one of the vehicles being a TNC vehicle, because a TNC vehicle is not a for hire vehicle under sections 1691 and 92, and therefore is not a vehicle used principally for the transportation of persons for hire within the meaning of insurance law section 5105. <clears throat> now, uh, I apologize to the extent that these slides are getting a little dry and text heavy, but it's necessary to drive uh, the overall conclusion here home. As always, there are possible exceptions, and uh, any workers' comp defense attorney worth their salt is going to make sure they're going to be digging into these to try and create any viable loss transfer argument that they can. Um, so uh, that insurance circular letter number four actually includes another blurb. Trips originating in New York City, remember um, that it said that actual, the VTL actually excluded New York City, and New York City had enacted this, um, their own legislate or their own statute saying that uh, TNC vehicles couldn't have trips originating in NYC. 
um, or any county or city that enacts a local law pursuant to general municipal law section 182 remain subject to all the laws that generally apply to for hire vehicles and remain subject to the intercompany loss transfer provisions of insurance law section 5105. What is the translation here? Ride shares initiating in New York City, uh, if they're done legally, they're going to be governed by New the New York City's Taxi and Limousine Commission regulations and therefore remain subject to intercompany loss transfer, as the Department of Financial Services noted. Uh, Article 44B also does not apply to trips originating outside the state of New York, uh, and Article 44B was the entire reason for the conclusion uh, by the Department of Financial Services. Um, just note once again, though, that uh, if the accident happens outside the state of New York, then there is no 50K carve out to Arlene and we're not talking about loss transfer here. But what this is saying is if the trip originated outside the state of New York, uh, you know, somebody in Jersey City calls for an Uber to take them to New York City, uh, well, then we can argue that this is not going to be covered by Article 44B and therefore it is a vehicle for hire for the transportation of people. Uh, so it's arguable that a rideshare initiated outside the state of New York would remain subject to loss transfer, uh, but remember the other person involved still has to be a covered person. So let's talk for a second just about maximizing recovery. Uh, we always love to do this in Section 29 in loss transfer webinars and Section 40 webinars. Uh, keep these two sources of recovery distinct in your mind. Uh, they are very, very, very different. Uh, a common question I get uh, quite frequently is, well, uh, loss transfer applies, so there's no carve-out to my lien, right? Well, no, the carve-out exists uh, as long as it qualifies under Article 51. Loss transfer doesn't get rid of it. What it does is it gives you a right of recovery on it against the insurer for the, at, for the libel at-fault driver. And uh, unlike Section 29 with our lien, that cause of action does not belong to the claimant. We can't waive loss transfer in favor of the claimant. We can't fund a Section 32 full and final with a loss transfer waiver. That is our right of recovery through arbitration forums. Uh, so the way to think about these are two distinct separate pools of recovery. Uh, and you're going to look to harmonize the two of them. Uh, anything in excess of 50,000 is going to be subject to Section 29. Uh, but guess what? That also means it's subject to the cost of litigation reduction under Kelly and Burns and, and their progeny. Um, so we also have to look at future offset rights where maybe we haven't paid 50K yet, uh, but we get a recovery via loss transfer and then you know uh, there's a third party settlement. Uh, we have to look at when we crest that 50K threshold or when we're more than three years out from the date of loss to start taking an offset. Uh, the $50,000 applies both retroactively and prospectively. Um, so there's an interesting sort of balancing here of the two different pools of recovery. And I always advise carriers to try and keep these separate and distinct in your mind. It's the best way to think about it. Uh, when is the time to investigate loss transfer potential? Uh, yesterday, now, uh, as soon as possible. Uh, there is a three-year statute of limitations from the date of each payment. So it's a rolling statute. Uh, that's to actually file for arbitration in arbitration forums. Um, but the more, the further you get removed from the accident, the less available this information is going to be. Uh, with regard to uh, ride sharing and, and TNCs in particular, 
uh, what's interesting is that the VTL uh, 44B does have um, some requirements for the companies to maintain data on where trips uh, originated, where trips ended up. There's a mandatory period that they have to retain the data. There's mandatory disclosure of the data in the event of certain actions or certain discovery demands. Um, so this information is preserved literally for this very purpose, but you gotta get rolling as soon as possible. Uh, I mean, this is something that should be done from the outset of the case because you don't have to wait uh, for the claimant to file their own action. You don't have to wait a year after the data loss or six months after the awarding of comp like you would under section 29.2. You find out it's subject to loss transfer, you've already paid 50,000 or in excess of it, good. Serve them with the intercompany reimbursement notification, file for arbitration if they don't respond to it. Uh, you can do that ASAP. Uh, leverage your knowledge of the workers' comp claim. We talked earlier about talking to the employer, uh, about the vehicles involved. Uh, we're gonna know about the medical treatment pending for the claimant. Maybe we know there's a surgery on the horizon and we've only paid 5K to date and we go, well, all right, maybe it doesn't make sense to file for arbitration today because we know we're gonna have a $50,000 bill trickling through the door three months from now. Uh, you can really balance the knowledge of the defense of the workers' comp claim to do your investigation, get the facts right, uh, and determine how to maximize the recovery and when to get started. Uh, another tactic, void the carve-out entirely. Make your arguments, indemnity over 2K per month or three years after the date of loss, uh, accident occurring outside the state of New York, uh, the other party involved is not a covered person. It wasn't use or operation of a motor vehicle. Uh, it wasn't a motor vehicle. These are all arguments to make to avoid the 50K carve-out. Again, though, anything that's not subject to the carve-out is also not going to be subject to loss transfer. They're one and the same. Those benefits that are part of the first 50K are what you can recover via loss transfer. So if you knock out stuff uh, from the 50K carve-out, you can't then turn around and demand that via loss transfer. You also can't add it to determine when you get to 50K uh, for the purposes of asserting your Section 29 lien. And finally, um, just be prepared to take action. Uh, a lot of these carriers, uh, particularly, particularly motor vehicle uh, liability carriers, are expecting workers' comp uh, carriers and other carriers paying in lieu of first-party benefits uh, to be passive, you know, uh, send a Section 29 lien letter. It's self-affecting, sit back and wait for the money to roll in. They need our consent to settle anyway. Well, uh, no, I'm, it, there's no reason we need to wait a year uh, for the claimant to file suit. Uh, there's no reason, you know, we, we six months after the awarding of compensation, it's right to serve the Section 29-2 notice. Sometimes they take two to three years. There's a three-year statute of limitations for personal injury actions. Well, we can vastly accelerate that by serving the Section 29-2 notice as soon as it becomes right uh, and filing our own subrogated civil action. If nothing else, lights a fire under the claimant. Let's wrap this claim up sooner. Be prepared to intervene if somebody starts to deny your lien. Uh, stick your nose into that third-party action formally. Get in front of a judge, demand reimbursement. Uh, they are confined by the workers' comp law. We went over those cases uh, at the year-end review in December 2020. Um, we went over some of the cases that say that the judges are restricted uh, to what is provided by Section 29 and Kelly and Burns. Uh, your worst case scenario is what the law provides for anyway. Uh, so don't listen to the bluster. Be prepared to get involved. Roll up your sleeves. Get dirty. Um, be prepared to subrogate. We talked about that. 
Uh, and finally, be prepared to move toward arbitration. Your loss transfer claim gets denied or is ignored. Be ready to file in ARB forums. Um, you know, now is the time. Get your theories of negligence together, get your proofs together, your damages, your meds, uh, everything. So uh, that's going to do it. I know this was a little uh, dense material, a little heavy on the text. Um, we'll get to the questions now, see if we have anything. And I am not seeing any questions. Uh, so I think we're all good on that front. I have, obviously, if you have any questions, uh, you can always email me cmajor at loisllc.com uh, or any one of our attorneys here uh, or give us a call. We're always happy to answer. So uh, thank you very much for in, uh, joining us for the first Major Mondays webinar of 2021. Uh, and I hope to see everybody next month.